and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he saith to you, you do it. And there was set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. And they contained two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But you have kept the good wine until now. This the beginning of miracles, the beginning of signs, did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. And after this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. And they continued there not many days. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a faithful teacher of the Word of God for more than 60 years. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never Our study today in the Gospel of John starts here in chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, here on the Unchanging Word broadcast. Well, in this chapter, Dr. Mitchell gives us a short overview of 11 names of Jesus as found in John chapter 1. He points out that the Spirit of God always uses the right words and right titles and the right name in his revelation of Jesus, the Son of God. Dr. Mitchell tells us that the name Jesus is used some 247 times in this gospel. But now, beginning in chapter 2, we will be looking at Jesus' first sign or miracle which he did to manifest his glory, and the disciples believed in Jesus as the Messiah of God. Jesus blessed a marriage in Cana of Galilee by attending it, and then blessed it by doing his first miracle of transforming water into wine. Well, let's turn in our Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Good day. We come to you again. And it's always a joy for me to open up the Word of God and discuss with you things pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Again, may I urge upon those of you who, who listen in pretty regularly that you read the Word of God and read this gospel through John. You see, well, Mr. Mitchell, I've read that a number of times. How many times have you really read it? I mean to sit down and really distinctly read it. And I'm afraid not too many times. And if you were to read it a hundred times, you'd get far more out of it when you read it the hundredth time than you did the first time. It's the amazing thing how God will take his Word and make it real to us. 
You remember our Savior said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and their life. Now, in our past lessons, we have been dealing with the first chapter of this gospel through John. As you remember, uh, this is the great gospel which reveals to us that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. That's the great question raised. Is this Jesus of Nazareth, this one who was born in Bethlehem of Judea, raised in Nazareth, went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, God was with him, was crucified, and was raised from the dead. Is this Jesus of Nazareth, God? And John goes out and gives to us not only the claims of Christ, but the credentials of Christ that he is none other than the only begotten Son of God. And by the way, again, may I remind you that John is the only one who calls him the only begotten Son of God. For this deals, you remember, with his deity. And then if I may say another thing that I have said before, the, the amazing thing in the gospel through John is that the title, his name, Jesus, is used 247 times. And yet this is the gospel of the deity of Christ. And Jesus was his earthly name. It's amazing how the Spirit of God has just guarded these things. And into the moral and spiritual darkness of the world, God sends his Son and has to send a messenger to introduce him to the world. As we read in chapter 1, John was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And as you go through the first chapter, and especially the last lesson we had concerning John the Baptist, we find where he was a real worshiper. He concealed himself behind the Savior. He acknowledged that Jesus Christ was the preferred one. And then you have his worship. His heart was occupied with the Savior. He refused to be sidetracked by the enemies of Christ, those who became his enemies. Indeed, he was satisfied to be just a voice crying in the wilderness place. And then you have John's message. You remember he introduced Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, as the one who would baptize by the Spirit of God, that he was the Son of God. And when you come to the end of the chapter, we have our Lord saying, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, before I leave that first chapter, may I again say this, there are four ways in which people were brought to Christ in this chapter. First of all, they were brought to Christ through the preaching of John, when he said to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. And John lost his disciples, and they followed Jesus. The second one was by the testimony of Andrew. After spending a little time in the presence of the Savior, he had to go out and hunt up his brother Simon, and he brought him to Jesus. And then we have the, the incident where the Lord called Philip, and he said, Follow me. So the third way is by a call of Jesus. He called them to follow him. And the fourth way is through the word of God, because Philip said to his friend Nathaniel, who was of Cana in Galilee, he said, We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, you just, you come on and say, and so on. Then you ought to look through the chapter, if you want a little study, and take up the names or the things concerning the person of Christ in this first chapter. For example, he's the Word in the first verse. He's the Creator in verse 3. He's the light of the world in verses 7, 8, and 9. Uh, he's full of grace and truth. 
He's the one who is going to, is the only begotten of the Father. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who will baptize with the Spirit of God. He's the Son of God. You go on down, we find we have found the Messiah who is called the Christ. He's the one of whom the prophets wrote and spoke. And then you read in verse 49, he's the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. And in verse 51, he's the Son of Man. You have these various aspects concerning the titles and the work of our Savior, all in the first chapter. Now, I didn't take the time to go into all these things, except I want to point them out. In Bible study, the Spirit of God is always using the right word and the right title and the right name for our Savior. Now, let us come into chapter 2. And here you have the story of our Lord transforming water into wine. We read, on the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he saith to you, you do it. And there was set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. Uh, these pots, by the way, were, were for cleansing, and they contained two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and he filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the beginning of miracles, the beginning of signs, did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. And after this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. And they continued there not many days. Let me just stop here first of all. May I say this is the first miracle in John's gospel. I would like to stir your hearts for a little Bible study. Do you mind if I do this? If I were to ask you the question, what is the first miracle in Matthew? The possibility is you couldn't tell me. Well, now the first miracle in Matthew is in chapter 8. And here he cleanses a leper. Now remember the question in Matthew is, is this Jesus of Nazareth the Messiah? Isaiah said, when Messiah comes, he will cleanse lepers. That's why Jesus said to the leper after he had cleansed him, you go and show yourself to the priest. Messiah is here. And in chapters 8, 9, and 10, you've got those three chapters full of miracles. Uh, what's the first miracle in Mark and Luke? For you have the same miracle there in chapter 1 of Mark and the fourth chapter of Luke. And here you have him casting out demons. In, in Mark's gospel, as the servant of Jehovah, he came in opposition to the powers of hell. But when he came to Luke's gospel, he, he took his place as a man in the human race, and he found the human race under the bondage of sin, death, and hell. 
So the very first miracle in Luke's gospel is he cast the demons out of a man. And by the way, he found the fellow in the synagogue in the church. Now, when you come to John's gospel, the very first miracle is not the cleansing of a leper, it's not the casting out of demons. In fact, by the way, in John's gospel, you never read of him casting out demons. This, to me, was an astounding thing when I began to think about it. If there was any gospel where there should be the manifestation of the casting out of demons, it would be in John's gospel, where he's revealed as God. No, no casting out of demons in John, no cleansing of lepers in John. You see, he's God. As I said at the very beginning of our introduction to the gospel through John, there are, there are six miracles, three on healing, three on creation, and one on the resurrection from the dead, seven signs. And out of these signs comes forth the various messages of our Savior. Now, first of all, the very first miracle in John, then, is the, is the act of a creator. He turns water into wine. Do you ever think about it? Who is this one can take water and turn to wine? No wonder the, uh, the, uh, the man who was the head of the feast, the governor feast, said, How come? How come? And the, the common thing is to give the best we have at the beginning. And then when men are not very thirsty, then bring out that which is not so good. And now you've kept the best one until the last, and so on. So you have in this passage our Lord revealing himself as the creator. Now, it's the, the amazing thing to me about this whole thing is the Lord Jesus Christ manifesting himself as one who is omnipotent, and when you come to the last half of the chapter, he manifests his omniscience. May I repeat that? Here in this second chapter of John, he manifests himself as the creator. He manifests omnipotence. And then in the last half of the chapter, from 13 to 25, he manifests omniscience. That is, he knows everything. Now, in this chapter, you have the restoration of Israel's joy. If I were, by the way, if I'm talking to you folk who believe in dispensational truth, you have a wonderful, wonderful picture of, of the program of God. May I just spend a moment here before we go into the detail of this passage you remember in chapter 1, we read John introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Then I read the next day. The next day, in verse 35, John saw Jesus, and he said to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. Then the day following, Jesus called Philip. And chapter 2 starts, On the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. Let me just bring the whole thing up together, may I? Uh, you may think this is fanciful, but those of you who know the Bible concerning dispensational truth, what do you mean by that? That God has man under a certain responsibility in, in different periods of time. An age is a period of time. A dispensation is a responsibility. And if you read your Old Testament and New Testament through, you'll find that God deals with people a certain way. Now, here you have, for example, you have three days. First of all, the Lord Jesus at the cross. He's the Lamb of God. Then you have two days of gathering disciples to himself. John goes off the scene. Jesus comes on the scene. And now for nearly 2,000 years, 
Since the cross, Jesus Christ is the center of the gathering of his people. God today is calling out a people for his name. Acts chapter 15, you remember, 13 to 18 speaks of this, that God is gathering out a people for his name. And when he's through gathering out this people for his name, he's going to return to the earth and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and so on. There you have the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. What is God doing today? He is gathering out individuals. He's not dealing with nations. He's gathering out sinners, men and women like you and me. Uh, he's calling them to himself, redeeming them, forgiving them, and joining them together in a group, in a body called the church, of which he is the head. Every Christian, I don't care what denomination they belong to, what label they have, but if every any person who has really put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior belongs to the church of Christ. This is what God is doing today. So starting at verse chapter 2, the first verse, the third year there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee. And at the end of this dispensation of grace, uh, we're going to have the marriage feast of the Lamb. It's found in Revelation uh, chapter 19 and on down through chapter 20 and 21. Uh, you find this question of the marriage of the Lamb and he's going to manifest his glory. You'll notice this. At the end of it, you find his mother was there, his brethren were there, his disciples were there. He manifested his glory. I just suggest this for those of you who are Bible students to whet your appetite for the getting into the Word of God. Now, let me have a little practical lesson, first of all. Uh, in this little incident of the Lord at the marriage supper, uh, pardon me, at the marriage feast in Canaan of Galilee, wonderful thing, you know, to have the Savior um, sanctifying a marriage with his presence, sharing human joy. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That the Lord Jesus Christ just loves people enough to come and share their joy and sanctifies their marriage. It would be a wonderful thing in America if every marriage ceremony uh, was attended by the Savior. Oh, what a difference it would make. What a difference it would make to have a young man and a young woman married and have the Savior present to bless them and to fill their hearts with joy and so on. Now, you remember the statement here. Um, During the feast, they ran out of wine, and the mother of Jesus came to him and said, They have no wine. Now, I do not know what Mary had in mind, whether Mary wanted Jesus to reveal himself as the Messiah or not. Remember that Mary had a, a real secret in her heart. In the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, Gabriel had made some tremendous statements concerning the boy who was, to whom she was going to give birth to. You remember that? That holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of the Highest, and so on. Mary kept these secrets in her heart. I wonder if she wanted the Lord to do something, to manifest himself as the Messiah, and notice the Lord's answer in verse 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, you do. Now, you notice his answer. She said they have no wine. He said, Woman, why didn't he say mother? No, friend, we're in the gospel through John where our Lord is manifested as deity. He did not recognize this relationship as such. 
Woman, Gune, what have I to do with thee? In other words, he's really saying, Why do you hurry me? Mine hour is not yet come. You know, friend, all the way through John's gospel, you find this statement, Mine hour is not yet come. You find it in chapter 6. You find it in chapter 7. I think three times in chapter 7. You find it in chapter 8. You find it in chapter 12. You find it in chapter 17. Rather amazing thing that he, the first time he ever said that, my now what is not yet come, was to his mother. And the last time he said it was to his heavenly father. Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. I'm quoting chapter 17, the first verse. What have I to do with thee? Why do you hurry me? My hour is not yet come. Now notice Mary's good advice in verse 5. What she said, whatever he says, you do it. Don't question, just you do whatever he says. You do it. Not part of it, but do it. And notice he transformed the water into wine. Friend, you know, are we going to be obedient to the Savior? I think this is one of the greatest needs today among God's people, our lack of obedience to his precious word. Do you remember the measure of our love for Christ is our obedience to his word? Now you find this in John chapter 14, verses 21 and verse 23. All he asks is obedience. And the mother gives him very sound advice when she said, whatever he says, you do. So he said, fill the water pots to the brim, and they filled them to the brim. Now, turn it out, and it was transformed into wine. You know, I couldn't help but think of dear Moses. He poured water on the ground, it became blood. And the Lord took the water and transformed it into wine. Notice he didn't touch it. He didn't put his hands over it and, and say some, some words. He just said, draw out now to the feast. He just willed it. He was God. He didn't throw something into the water to transform it. Like one man said, uh, these pots had been soaked with wine, and when they put the water in, it drew the wine out of the, out of the clay pot. What a ridiculous thing. Jesus just said, fill him with water, now draw it out, and it became wine. He just commanded it. He just willed it. If Jesus Christ is not God, we have no revelation of God. Only God could do this. My, what a need for us to be obedient. And I'll tell you, my friend, obedience brings transformation. And when you and I, when you and I obey the word of God, there's a transformation. Our lives are changed. Our lives are changed. Now, you know, these water pots had to do with ceremonial cleansing. They were wonderful, but they were empty. Ceremonies mean nothing apart from the Word of God. Some people depend so much upon ceremonies. Listen, friend, ceremonies mean nothing apart from the Word of God. The heart must be right with God. If there's going to be anything done, the Lord must do it. Now, what he wants of us is obedience. Just one more thing. When man's provision fails, God, God meets with a full supply. Obedience brings a full supply, you see. The amount, the amount of supply we receive was dependent upon obedience. When you and I are obedient to the Lord, 
That's when he operates. That's when he works. This is when faith moves. And God moves into the heart of a man. As a man, if I'm talking to you today, my friend, and you've never accepted the Savior, God means exactly what he says. If you'll put your trust in him, you'll pass from death to life. You'll be forgiven every sin. You become a child of God. By what? Obeying the word of God. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, into judgment, but is passed from death to life. He is saying, Come unto me, and I'll give you rest. He means exactly what he says. And you do it today for his name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at hell.